one challenge that I see is that um, the technology is really evolving crazily fast, right? And things that are possible today were not imaginable two years ago. And I think that's a challenge for the regulatory process because, of course, it takes a long time to set up these regulatory frameworks. But what are you doing if the field is basically changing completely within just one or two years? Hello and very warm welcome to Euractiv's Health Podcast, where every week we dive into EU health policy and bring you the latest health news from Europe. I'm Jedra Pesetskita, a health reporter at Euractiv, and today we will be looking at AI's potential in healthcare. It's already being used for niche repetitive tasks, for diagnosis and image processing, but it holds a greater potential, according to Jakob Katter, who is in a unique position. As he told himself, uh, he's in the interference of computer science and medicine. So Jakob is a, a medical doctor and a professor of clinical artificial intelligence and computer science at a medical faculty in Dresden, Germany, where together with his team, he's using artificial intelligence for medical decision making and developing tomorrow's AI tools for medicine. In this conversation, we will touch how AI can help overworked healthcare professionals and what are the challenges there for policymakers as the field is changing so fast. Jakob, thank you so much for being with us here today. It is a great pleasure, and as I already mentioned in the introduction, you are in this unique position at the interference of computer science and medicine. Um, but I would like to start from the beginning uh, by saying that AI is already unavoidable in our everyday lives, right? It is no longer something from science fiction. Exactly. So what you mentioned is a very unfortunate product of the last couple of decades where AI was repeatedly overhyped, right? So even in the in ancient times, like in the 1950s, um, and there was a, people were discussing about artificial intelligence. There were some attempts to um, build artificial intelligence systems, and this repeated several times over the uh, over the following decades. But AI really n- never took off until very recently, until in 2012, where there was kind of an inflection point where we had um, AI systems that were very good at image analysis. And nowadays, as you say, we are surrounded by AI. So your phone is full of AI online. Any website that you, any major website that you visit is full of AI. And also AI is starting to go into medicine, but this is um, often uh, a little bit of a longer process than in other domains. So when I think about AI, I think about the problem that we want to solve. Okay, So we want to teach computers to do something that humans usually do. And there's um, basically two, two applications where it was very hard for a long time to teach computers to solve problems on a human expert level. And that's the processing of images and processing of text. And I think these are some examples where we can um, maybe give some specific examples for non-medical and medical medical problems. But in, in, in general, this is, um, yeah, this, I think it's good to approach this from the type of problem that is being solved by a computer instead of a human. 
you already mentioned that there are two applications of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, one is processing images and the other one is processing text. So I wonder then how are those two are being used in healthcare field? AI is really good at um, processing images and processing text. And um, for example, in your phone, all of the face recognition stuff and, and automatically sorting all your images, all of this is done by deep learning networks, so the most common form of um, AI. And um, and also in medicine, there's many applications of this. So medicine is full of image data. For example, the most obvious applications are in radiology, where um, people look at X-ray scans or CT scans. And right now, there is already a uh, growing number of um, pro AI products out there that you can buy and use in clinical routine that help you, for example, to, um, to detect a stroke on a brain image or to detect a lung tumor on a chest CT scan. But to be honest, in, in reality, most of these solutions are still like very focused at very, very narrow tasks and are not used so widely. But we expect that this is going to change. And then there's other medical areas where um, we deal with images and where there are plenty of clinically approved um, AI solutions available. And two examples are, for example, skin cancer screening, where um, basically usually a human doctor looks at a skin lesion and then decides is this suspicious of being cancer, yes or no. And there is a number of AI solutions available to automate and improve this decision. And another thing is um, is colon cancer screening, so bowel cancer screening with with endoscopy. Um, so also for this application, there is a number of clinically approved devices that use AI to detect lesions in the in the bowel lining to help doctors identify cancer early. So these are some niche applications where AI is being successfully used in medicine even today. Um, but still, obviously, there is a lot of room to grow. Um, so now I'm thinking more about the possibility of AI to process tons of information. Uh, so couldn't it make it easier for clinicians to treat patients uh, just because of this ability that AI can look at way more data quicker than any human could possibly do? So um, like, is, is it possible that it could deal with all different kinds of data and then summarize it? Exactly. That's the big, that's a big promise. And um, I mean, this... This is where we want to get, obviously, right? We want to use AI in to to help us navigate this um, large amount of data that we deal with in clinical routine every day. And obviously, this is not just images, right? It's all kinds of data. It's laboratory tests. It's it's um, medical reports in free text form. It is images, and it might be even genomic testing for cancer patients, etc. So. What we really want is a multimodal AI system that can help us deal with all different kinds of data and then summarize it or maybe even derive um, treatment recommendations directly from this. So we don't have anything like this now, okay? So nothing like this exists in clinical routine, um, especially because it, you, it's quite challenging from a technical point of view to, to build such things that can handle different types of data and in medicine 
you always encounter missing data so and, and varying data quality etc so there used to be some large-scale initiatives um, like the ibm watson um, initiative by the computer company ibm that started in 2012 that was aiming for something like this but it was it turned out to be much much harder um, than than we imagined so the truth is that right now all ai systems in medicine are focused at one very specific, very narrow use case. And essentially, they don't replace any physician. And they just, um, yeah, they just replace a very, very specific and repetitive task. But what we have seen in the last one or two years is that now there's a tremendous growth on the technical side and a tremendous um, expansion of what AI can do. There is now with with ChatGPT and GPT-4. These are some, maybe we can discuss about this later. Um, these are some newer AI models that are really good at handling also very diverse data and also data with some missing, um, with, with some missing items. And so what we really think is that in in five or five to ten years there will be such AI systems that can help us dig through all types of data in medicine. But right now this is this is not the reality yet, but what we are doing is to prepare medical doctors and the medical system for this reality that we think is going to come in five or ten years. It's very interesting what you're saying about uh, preparing doctors because as you already mentioned in your introduction, uh, you're kind of in a unique position uh, because you're kind of wearing those two hats uh, between AI and medicine. Um, but for other doctors uh, who are not super familiar with AI, what are you hearing from them? Are they excited or concerned? Well, in general, what you hear is that everybody is just overwhelmed with work and everybody is just happy to get any any help that they that they can. Um, so the feedback that I get from my um, colleagues is usually pretty positive. And people really want people, re, medical doctors really spend a lot of time on really repetitive and boring tasks and everybody wants to automate this and get get help there so um so the the feedback is quite positive and there's another aspect to it and that's um the fact that patients are very interested in these technologies and patients increasingly come to us and tell us well my smartwatch um told me i have a risk of um uh, cardiac arrhythmia or, or or some other things or people um i mean people for many years patients come to us and show us like their print out google results for their symptoms but now increasingly people patients are using um using also chat gpt and ai tools to help them make sense of their symptoms and that's totally legit and this is just the, the the reality right so we have to deal with these with these technologies and everybody i mean that's probably true for everybody who's alive and and active and active part of our society but specifically healthcare professionals have to get some basic ai literacy to be able to 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 deal with this and especially to deal with um, patient requests yeah, indeed. And it's very interesting what you mentioned about ChatGPT because, well, I never thought to use it for uh, diagnosing myself, but I assume people are doing it now. Um, and is it uh, this kind of technology, uh, uh, like not specifically ChatGPT, but um, just the way it's working, could it be uh, useful for a healthcare sector too? Absolutely. So this year, the, the last 
let's say six six to nine months were really crazy with this advent of um, chat gpt and this um technology of large language models so these are ai models that can process text in a very very good way and they can understand text and synthesize text and perform logical reasoning tasks and just two years ago this used to be like completely unimaginable right and now it's 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 a reality and the um breakthrough of one of the breakthroughs of chat gpt a couple of months ago was to embed this large language model into like a chatbot interface that anybody could interact with and then access this model and um, to be very clear these large language models they are not approved as medical devices okay so we cannot use them to make any medical decisions or process any medical data in the real world outside of research purposes okay so so if you're a healthcare professional don't use this this does not have um have regulatory clearance but the reality is what we see um and there's plenty of reports about this on social media and the internet and also patients tell us um that this can be used that this is being used by patients for all kinds of things for example for lifestyle um optimization people using this technology to help them plan their diet plans or their exercise plans um but also for more complex things i mean there are cases on on the on the on social media where people um like post cre very credible um posts where they had like um, experience where, where they essentially use this as a symptom checker so again this is not not recommended and it's not um, you can't you can't do that as a healthcare professional right now but if people do this and the um, ai system gives them a response that's basically similar to people just putting their symptoms into google and people do this all the time and so this is what we have to what we have to deal with when we talk to patients Okay, so, well, it's very interesting to hear how, I mean, it truly seems that it's uh, fascinating times for everyone, um, especially for you as you are working in this field. Um, so then I want to ask you, um, you know, what are the most fascinating research, uh, research projects that are uh, happening now that you're seeing in the field where artificial intelligence is being in implemented and... Uh, uh, or maybe what are you foreseeing in the future? What will be the biggest breakthrough for you? Yes, so we indeed, we live in very, very exciting times. And I think one of the exciting um, and very promising approaches is still to automate some of these repetitive tasks that humans are doing, right? For example, for cancer screening, to read tons of images and for example for breast cancer screening to to read mammography or mri images um of healthy people um looking for things that could be cancer so this is a um very very important and very structured but very repetitive task so these types of things um there are some ai solutions already available for these tasks but there's still a lot of room for improvement and i think if we can take these boring tasks off the shoulder of our healthcare staff and this will be a big help and this is um, also going to come this is um this is where even with the existing technology we know how to do this in principle there's some 
barriers, for example, um, you have to um, be really careful which data to train these systems on, you have to undergo regulatory approval, etc. But I still think that in these narrow domains, of these, these classical applications for AI in healthcare, there's still a lot of um, room to, to improve our lives as, as healthcare professionals. But then exceeding this, I do think that what you mentioned, these like multimodal types of AI that can make sense of different types of data and can help us dig through all of these data that we have for our patients, um, that they would be very, very interesting. So, um, for example, if I'm... Um, um, if I'm in, in my clinical clinical job and a new patient comes to me, often they bring like pages and pages of previous medical records and um, very diverse types of data. And, um, and this can be a lot of information. And if we could use AI um, to, to dig through this, to filter out the relevant parts, this would, um, I think, improve the quality of healthcare and also the speed at which we can deliver it. Um, but this, for, for, for something like this, we know how this would work from a technology point of view, but there's many, many questions to be answered um, before this moves into clinical routine, for example. Um, it needs to be very carefully trained on very diverse data sets and also, of course, it needs to undergo regulatory approval. And it's currently um, still... And the regulatory system is is built for like products for a single clearly defined use case where the quality of the product can be evaluated, and so this is kind of um, um, not not perfectly compatible with AI systems that can just solve a bunch of problems um, simultaneously, right? So there is um, a lot of yeah, regulatory and policy work to be done to to adjust our frameworks to this new technolo technology. And then maybe the third point I want to mention is the use of AI in research, for example, in drug discovery, because um, we have very good AI systems that can, for example, predict the 3D um, 3D structure of proteins um, and then help us identify which drugs can bind to which part of proteins. And all, although these things might maybe sound very boring, I think that um, drug development is, of course, a hugely complex process that is very, very costly and takes years, like um, 10, 15 years for, for a new drug to be developed. And if AI can speed up this research process, I think this will tra clearly tra translate into benefits for society and for the patients um, if, if these discoveries um, can, be, can, be, can be sped up, even without any AI system being used in clinical routine, just on the research side, there's a lot of potential. Okay, so it's very interesting to hear about what's promising, but I think uh, I cannot not ask, uh, what are the concerns in this field? Uh, you already mentioned uh, briefly uh, that uh, systems have to be carefully trained, uh, so they would not be biased, right? Uh, what are the other concerns? Uh, what could be the potential risks when starting to implement AI in the practice? Yes, so there's absolutely there's many risks some of which are avoidable and some of which are maybe um yeah we we just have to live with right so some of the, one of the most important risks is the bias as you said right because ai systems are inherently not 
biased, but the data they are trained on is biased. And we know that um, some populations have better healthcare outcomes than other populations. And um, this tends to correlate like with, with income and social status. Um, and we don't want to live in a world where AI um, propagates these existing biases. We want to live in a world, well, I want to live in a world where AI is being used in healthcare and helps to mitigate these differences and biases. But if you just train an AI system of, um, of, on any healthcare data that you get from, from clinical routine, there are bound to be biases in this data and your AI system will learn these biases and reproduce them. So we have to be very careful here. And whenever we have a new AI system, we have to carefully test, does this work um, exactly the same? Does it give us the same quality in men and women, in old people and young people, in people of different ethnic backgrounds, etc.? So um, this is like an active thing that we have to keep in mind as researchers when we build these build these systems but also of course regulatory um, agencies um, are are looking at this and should look at this um, to see that are these ai systems really generalizable across different parts of our um, of our population and um, then there's many other risks one of the risks that is often brought up is de-skilling, right? So if people blindly use AI, they will not be trained to be so um, experts as they are, right? So if, for example, if you're a skin doctor and you only use AI to detect skin cancer in your patients, maybe you will not build the skills to detect skin cancer yourself if there's um, at some point you don't have access to the AI system, you are completely lost maybe without it, right? So that's de-skilling. But this is something I think that's maybe unavoidable because um, we all know this from, I mean, nobody knows how to read a map anymore right or how to how to how to um, go by car um, without using um, gps navigation right so this is just the world that we live in and and of course and we can try to actively um, foster these skills maybe you should turn off your google maps and just look at the paper map sometimes so to keep uh, keep that skill that you can take a car without using gps navigation but um but in the end that's the world that we live in and and ai is going to be a tool that's everywhere and then um yeah this um this this de-skilling is not something that we would avoid just by by putting a blanket ban on ai right i actually haven't thought about the the fact that people might start losing skills but of course it's logical uh if you don't use uh certain skills in everyday practice it's natural that uh, some of them will start to fade off um then when i then I would like to bring in the regulatory frameworks and uh, um, like at the European level, there is um, a proposal for European health data space. Um, there's also EU AI Act, um, just to mention a few um, legislative acts. Uh, so I wonder, uh, does it come across your work? Are you following this? And uh, does it affect or change uh, or will change uh, the way you are working. 
Yes, um, that's a very important aspect. And of course, we, we need regulation, right? Because we need, um, our patients need to be able to trust in the things that we use on them. And whether it's a hip implant or it's a pacemaker software or it's an AI system that screens for skin cancer, our patients have to trust that whenever they undergo go whenever they have contact with any such product in the European Union, it needs to be tested and it needs to be safe and it needs to be um yeah um um quality quality controlled and and basically they can they can trust, right? So we need some type of regulation that's that's for sure. Um the regulation for medical software is incredibly complex. And I must say, I'm a medical doctor and a researcher, and I'm constantly um, confronted with these types of questions. But it's really a, such a complex domain that um, that I, to be honest, have trouble to keep up with the latest regulatory developments, etc. So what we do in our research group is we we use AI for research. We try to build the use cases of tomorrow and show what could be possible from a technological point of view, what could be a useful application in medicine. But then anything we build in our research group will not be used on patients, right? Because then if we find something, then basically it has to be made into a product. And this really can only be done by a company because to undergo to first of all to develop this software in a quality controlled way and then to undergo all of these um, criteria that are needed for regulatory approval that's something that takes so much time and money that can only be done in a company with the with the funding and that means that only the ai products with a strong business case will make it to the market which is fine right that's just the world that we live in but um it's still like a very complex maze and i personally would absolutely appreciate to to um have this as simple as possible right so that we can keep these all of these regulations in in mind from the from the start when we develop such a new system one challenge that i see is that um the technology is really evolving crazily fast right and things that are possible today were not imaginable two years ago and i think that's a challenge for the regulatory process because of course it takes a long time to set up these regulatory frameworks but what are you doing if the if the if the field is basically changing completely within just one or two years so um that's a challenge that i see but i don't have a perfect solution for this um only one example is the is the fact that we are expecting to have ai systems that can solve many problems at once and not just one narrow problem in the future and from a technology point of view this is already possible but then um how to approve such systems as um as medical devices um, is 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 quite challenging because these things were not really not imaginable very very recently ago. So yeah, regulation I think is a key thing. Um, we are happy that we have regulation, um, but the regulation um, yeah needs to needs to take into account the the, the technological reality. And obviously, we do not want to. Um, to fall behind like other big markets like the um like the US or or China and we want to stay on top of the um research but also the medical application side in 
in in Europe, and that's um, that's the that's the challenge. For sure, like uh, what you're saying, that uh, you know, how can policymakers keep up with the speed of technology uh, when they are changing uh, from one year to another, uh, while it takes years and years just to release a legislative act? Uh, uh, so it's true; it's a great challenge. Um, do you have any advice for policymakers then? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> One thing I recommend is talking to young people. So I recently gave a talk in a high school in Germany and I asked who is using ChatGPT and all the hands went up, right? So all the teenagers are using this. And when I give talks at medical conferences, I just need two or three minutes to explain what is ChatGPT actually doing to set the stage for what I'm going to talk about. So that's, um, yeah, the, the I'm quite optimistic because you know, like today's young people are keeping up with these with these technologies, but the speed at which this, these transitions are happening is much faster than Back, back a few years when the internet came along or our mobile phones were introduced. Um, I feel now the pace is much, much faster. Of course, of course. And it's, uh, it also comes uh, to education for young professionals, right? The ones in the universities, uh, how a university program should be shaped uh, and how AI and other technologies should be included. Yeah, I think that any healthcare professional lead, needs a basic digital literacy and also AI literacy, right? You can't be a healthcare professional without being able to use a computer nowadays, right? And and very soon you can't be, be you won't be able to be a healthcare professional if you don't have like very um, basic um, operational knowledge of, of AI systems. Um, but then what we are also doing in, in at our universities try to um, to train to identify and train a small fraction of healthcare professionals who really want to use AI for their own research and basically become thought leaders in this field. And um, so this is something that's, that causes um, a lot of interest, I think, and we have many applications for these types of programs. And I think both is needed. We need every healthcare professional to have some kind of literacy in these technologies, but then we need a few um, thought leaders who are really deeply into these these systems and can help to reshape our healthcare system um, um, accordingly. Well, it's really interesting to hear uh, your insights about uh, the situation with AI and um, and health field, how these fairs meet, how they are interlinked. And as you say, there's a lot of potential, uh, but policymakers need to keep up with the pace um, so this potential can be unlocked. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, maybe there's something that you wanted to bring up in the conversation. Yeah, I just would like to recommend to everybody to start using these tools that are out there, right? So I'm consciously trying to use the latest chat GPT models, but also other um, generative AI models every day. I'm using it in, in many of my professional and personal workflows. And this is, um, this costs a bit of effort, but I think it, it really pays off for anyone who is working in the healthcare space or in the regulatory space. I would really recommend to make a conscious effort to, to get an intuition about these tools and not just give up after two minutes playing around with them, but really trying to find where these tools can help you personally in your daily professional or private workflows. And again, this is um, what the, today's teenagers are doing anyway, but we, um, we grown-ups have to, have to make conscious effort for that. And then maybe the other thing I would like 
to recommend is anybody who has contact with young people, with um, teenagers especially, um, um, you should yeah tell them to if they're interested to learn a little bit of computer programming, especially Python programming, because these are the skills. This unlocks so many skills and capabilities um, tomorrow. So that's really I think a good thing to to invest in. Thank you so much, Jakob, for the advice. And thank you so much again for the time you had to talk about this uh, fascinating field. Uh, it was a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. If you're enjoying listening to Reactive's Health Podcast, a friendly reminder that you can subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every Wednesday, the same weekday as our podcast. We will make sure to keep you updated on the main EU health news. And don't forget to check other Euroactive podcasts, AgriFood Brief, Tech Brief, and Beyond the Byline. You can listen to us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. That is all from us today. Thank you so much for listening. We also want to hear from you. So if you have something to say, don't hesitate to drop us a line. Our email address is podcast at euroactive.com or contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn. This episode was brought to you thanks to our multimedia team. So special thanks to them. Until next Wednesday, stay healthy.